in D.C. this summer. Was it this? No, not this summer. February. I'm sorry. February. And we were in the, um, the Supreme Court. Wasn't it the Supreme Court? Which one is the one where it had all the ma massive leaders on the wall? The, the, then Moses was on the wall. What, which one was that? The Senate. The Senate. What they do is they have the uh, profiles of major leaders that have shaped the way the nation's laws have uh, come about. And they put the profiles all along the, the, um, the top of the uh, Senate wall. But in the middle of the direct middle of all these famous scholars and all these people that help shape our nation, right in the center is a man who doesn't have a profile. He actually has the full face, and he got the center of all the leaders, and it was Moses. Did y'all know that? They didn't even give, they wanted him to stand out amongst everyone. So they didn't do just the profile. They did the full face of Moses, and he is center of our Senate house. And that's who I want to talk about today, is Moses. And all the many women that shaped Moses, the great leader that gives us our laws that we still abide by by today, right? So why don't we jump in the word in Exodus uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read from the message. Does that make me a lesser Christian today? Okay, good, 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 good. There's a, there's a quote uh, by actually uh, Hillary Clinton that it takes a village. She wrote a book. It says it's called It Takes a Village. And uh, I changed it. And there's actually a book out there that says it takes a church to raise a Christian. But I just say it takes a church just to raise anybody that's got any kind of ethics, morals, anything that's, that's deep within them that's a great leader. It takes a church. If you go back and you look at major leaders that shaped our nation, and, and not just leaders that shaped our nation, but current people that are currently shaping our government right now, a lot of them, a, lo a large number were church abiding, had church parents, had people that had them on the front row uh, on a pew, and they took naps under the pews. And it's because it takes a, a group of people to build a leader, right? It doesn't just take one birth mom. Uh, in Exodus chapter 1, it says that the king of Egypt had a talk with the two Hebrew midwives. One was named Shipra and the other Pua. He said, when you deliver the Hebrew woman, look at the sex of the baby. If it is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But the midwives had far too much respect for God and didn't do what the king of Egypt had ordered. They let the, boys ba the boy babies live. The king of Egypt called in the midwives. Why didn't you obey my orders? You've let those babies live. The midwives answered Pharaoh, the, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. <laughs> I'm sorry, that makes me laugh. Uh, she basically was putting down the Egyptian women. Before the midwife can, can get there, they've already had the baby. God was pleased with the, God was pleased with the midwives. The people counted uh, continued to increase in number, a very strong people. And because the midwives honored God, God gave them families of their own. So Hebrew, or so Hebrew, so Pharaoh issued a general order to all his people. Every boy that is born, drown him in the Nile, but let the girls live. I want you to notice a couple things here. We know a few things about Shipra and Pua. Uh, what we do know is that, first of all, they had no families of their own. They were midwives. So in other words, we know for a fact that the mothering instinct, the need to protect, the need to honor God and to help protect these babies' lives came from a place that was not birthed from a womb. These women had no families of their own. So I, I looked up the, uh, the definition of midwife. And uh, 
the first one, it sounded about right. Uh, I didn't have a midwife. Some of y'all had midwives. I hear good stuff and bad stuff about midwives. I don't know. Uh, but I didn't have a midwife. I had a breathing Nazi and I, <laughs> who coached me during labor, my mother-in-law, who would count like this. When you're, when you're pushing and you count like this, one, two, three. No, she went one, Mississippi. Two, I, I finally screamed and said, you're like the breathing Nazi. So I didn't have a midwife. I had a great mother-in-law and a great mom. But the definition of a, of a midwife, the first one was person trained to assist women in childbirth. But what struck me was that number two, it says a person or thing that produces or aids in producing something new or different. What can we say about these two women, these two midwives? I believe this is one of the first accounts of a true spiritual mother. It was not based from a place of womb. They, weren't, they did not have any natural children of their own. What they knew was they had, there was something that was happening and, the, and the, the generation that was coming up was stronger and they were more vigorous and there was more and they were great and they grew in number and they, and they knew that there was something new that had to be produced. So in other words, they were aiding in producing something new and different. Wouldn't you call Moses new and different? He brought about leading the Hebrews out of slavery. And if they had killed the boys, like Pharaoh had said, we would have never seen Moses. We would have not, the whole, the whole basis of what we base, the, even the Ten Commandments off of, would not even be in existence. Shipra and Pua were true spiritual mothers. And that is a testament to women that are in church, that love the Lord, that are God-fearing, that don't even have children of their own, but are producing something new and different by imparting into people they don't even know they're imparting into sometimes. Sometimes it's intentional, like mentorship or, or just being a prayer partner. I, I have talked to so many um, young children, teenagers, young adults that have filled these altars, these goldfish-crushed altars, um, <laughs> that have been prayed for by many a spiritual mom that has caused them to produce something new in their life. Struggling with school, so they come up and they get prayer. And what happens? They make the LA honor roll. Or they stay in school and they continue their education because they got one encouraging word from a, from a midwife, from a spiritual mom that wanted to see that kid reach their highest potential. Amen? This is, has every woman that touched Moses' life had such a different role, and we're going to open that up today. We're going to see all the different roles. A woman doesn't have to have a child to have the qualities of a mother. These were the first spiritual mothers. They covered and they protected so God could produce a new thing, a man that would lead a nation out of slavery. Let's go to his birth mom. Did you know the birth, uh, the birth mom's name? Later on you see it's called Jochebed. Um, and a lot of people don't know her name, but she was important. She birthed Moses. And guess what? She was probably one of the selfless people you'll see in Scripture. Uh, let me just read to you Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. <clears throat> a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and had a son. Notice, she saw there was something special about him and hid him. She hid him. For three months, when she couldn't find him or couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed uh, the child in it. Then she set it afloat 
in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. The baby's older sister found herself at a vantage point a, a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maidens strolled uh, on the bank. She saw the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her, her maid to get him, to get it. She opened it and saw the child. A baby cried. Her heart went out to him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. Notice she does know that this is not her own, that this is the, the, the children that her father was trying to kill. Then, then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go and get a nurse, nursing mother from the Hebrews so she, she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. The girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. The, the woman took the child and nursed him. After the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, pulled out, saying, that's the meaning of the word Moses, pulled out, saying, I pulled him out of water. Okay, I read you the whole story because, first of all, there's something very selfless in knowing that you can either provide for your child and if you cannot provide for your child, being able to give them to someone that can. Here's the thing. Can you imagine the torture in her mind, knowing, first of all, that she was going to lose her child? That the order from the Pharaoh was all babies had to be thrown in the Nile and drowned if they were seen, if they're a boy. Okay, there's that torture. Then on the other hand, she gets lucky and Pharaoh's daughter now wants to raise this child. So now she's going to take this baby home that is hers, rightfully, and that she's in love with. Do you remember the first time maybe you, you looked at your child's face and how deeply it, you fell in love with your child? Okay, can you imagine taking care of that baby for months and months and then right about the time that that baby begins to coo and make eye contact and smile and you can see that there's there is there is an emotion there and that there is there's connection there and they're responding to you but now to give that child over to the hands of the pharaoh's palace and know that she was going to adopt him for his for her own that you may never see the child again records don't say whether or not really that she ever saw the child again records don't say that we we hope that she did along the way and we hope that Miriam was a was a handmaiden in the palace but we don't know that we make those assumptions movies make it look really good but we don't we don't know all of the details all we know is that there was a woman that had a brand new baby that she saw something really special and she fell in love with that baby and she handed that baby off to someone else to be adopted there's a whole lot of women in here that can relate and feel the pain of what that must feel like, right? But she was selfless. She was selfless. She knew that her child would live. Her child would have a better life if she would just give that child up. That is selflessness. That's true mothering. Our first instinct is to protect. You can ask my husband. If anybody's doing anything wrong to my kids, this crazy alternate being comes out of me. I don't even know who I am. My arms are flailing. I say things I don't mean. My face changes. I'm telling you, you experienced it last night. I'm pretty sure you saw it last night at the baseball field. Anyways, <laughs> but first and foremost, I want you to notice the very first scripture that you see about Jochebed. When she has her son, he, she says she noticed, she recognized that he was special. Um, I talked to a mother the other day that has a child that has some mental health issues. And, um, and 
mental health is tough because if it's an extreme case, uh, people feel they give you grace for the child. But if it's not extreme and they're able to cope, uh, then it's, well, he just bothers everybody. You see what I'm saying? Like, he's, the, it's just enough to be a problem, but not enough for the grace that's allotted to a full-scale, maybe autistic child, okay? And so I was talking to the mother, and she became very tearful because I said, you know, how is so-and-so doing? And they said, great, awesome. And I'm, the whole time I'm sitting here, I'm going, man, she's got a lot of encouraging things to say about this person that really doesn't have their act together. And she goes, Lindsay, if no one else on the face of the earth sees the things he does right. I have to be that one. She said that's the mother's, the mother's thorn, is that I have to love that, that child, that adult, when no one else does. Because if so, then no one loves him. And I will be the one that will stand strong. And I will be the one that encourages him, that speaks life, that set, points out even the smallest things that make him great. Even if he didn't lose his keys today, Okay, I'm going to say that's a win, and I'm going to jump up and down and, and say, what a great kid, what a great adult, what a great teenager, because no one can love like a mama can love. Now, there's a, now here's the deal. I used to disagree with that, because I, I, I mean, I love my husband, and I thought, I love Brandon way more than his mama loves him, right? It's a different kind of love. So when I had my daughter, and when I had my son, I realized, a light bulb went off, and I, I realized that mother-in-laws really are crazy because they really do think they love their children more than anybody else is ever going to love them, okay? I'm probably going to be the crazy mother-in-law one day because I love my kid. It's true. He's shaking his head. Yes, he's total agreement. Unity, baby. Unity right here. Because I love my kids so much that I feel like my heart, like, like there's nobody else that's going to see what I see in them. She recognizes they were special. Have you ever been... Um, I don't know how many of you have competitive kids or uh, play, they play sports or whatnot, but on the, on the baseball field with my kids, if they get like a really nasty ESPN catch, you know, like they dove for it and rolled and they came up with it in their glove, you know, that's talent. But when another kid does it on another team, I scream, okay, he got lucky, he got lucky, but we'll get him next time. Have you ever noticed that? You see something special in your kid, but... You have love goggles on, and, 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 and it's true. They're probably talented, but they got a mama or somebody for that, okay? And <laughs> it is in a mother's nature to protect. It is in a mother's nature to recognize the gifts and callings on their children. And if we don't do it, if we don't take the time to go, hey, did you know that you're really good at this, and maybe God has given you this talent to be a platform in your life? Hey, maybe you could do this one day when you're older. A mother and, and sometimes a father. You, you know, we parent together. It's Mother's Day, so i got to stay on the mother, you know. But parents, it is our call to action to notice something special. They're gifting. Our, our new prayer at, at home has been, uh, Father, thank you for the giftings and the talents you've given my children. Let them always know where they came from. That's been a new, that's been a new prayer that I've been praying at bedtime at night. And, and uh, the questions come up, Mom, why, why, are you, why, why do you say that they come from him? I said, because he gives you those to cultivate them so that you can do great things in his name. And, and here's what's beautiful about that, is that I can point them out when you don't even see that, that you're even 
good at that. I can see it, and I want to I cultivate it in you. That's a parent's job. But I, I have to take a moment because I have heard I have heard and seen on the news, and I have heard stories. We have some, we have CPS workers that work, uh, that go to church here, and also in Nederland. And uh, I, I see how tired they are and how emotional it is to go and protect children and to go to the homes and to see what's going on and to look into things and try to, to find the truth and fi seek the truth for the child and protect the child. And I will tell you, there's nothing more um, disturbing than to see a mother that doesn't protect. Um, there, there's a lot of mothers that don't protect that we don't see on a, on a regular basis. Or maybe you do see. Maybe you, maybe you work for CPS or maybe you have some that you, are around you that you can touch their lives. But I will tell you there's nothing more tragic than someone that ha never had a mother that said, did you know you were talented with this? Or even didn't protect them, didn't guide them. Maybe you were harmed by, a by your mother, by the hands of your mother. Maybe you were mentally harmed. Then my, my voice gets choked up <clears throat> when I talk about this because I believe that this is where the church needs to step in and begin to heal wounds. Uh, it takes sometimes more than a birth mom because maybe a birth mom is incapable of giving what a birth mom should be able to give. Maybe it takes more than a womb. Maybe it takes more than just a good grandparent. Maybe it takes a church to help a child heal from that. Maybe it takes a church to heal, help heal an adult from that. Maybe you don't know how to be a mother because you, you didn't have a mother. I believe that there are so many women that God put in Moses' life to build, to build up a great leader that we have to look at all aspects and all roles and go, you know what, I may not be able to have a kid, or maybe I have kids, but they don't like me right now, or maybe I, ha maybe I have kids, but they're real young, but I can find my role in here somewhere, and I can be a part of raising great, a great generation, like the Hebrew nation. It says that they grew and that they were vigorous and that they were, there was multiple, mul they grew numerous and they were strong. That's a picture of what the church's next generation should look like. It takes a church, Hillary Clinton. It takes a church, not a village. I'm sorry if it got serious, but I believe that there, God, the Holy Spirit, is beginning to heal some wounds caused maybe by moms today. And I, be, I believe that the Holy Spirit, the great surgeon that he is, is beginning to, to um, comfort you and restore you. And I hope that this Mother's Day is a lot different than other Mother's Days, that you can celebrate and that you can be comforted and that you can be healed and whole. A mother should protect at all costs, but I want to apologize for any mothers that did not protect that did not protect and did not encourage and, and truly didn't cultivate that in you. I want to apologize. If no one ever does, know this, that I stand in the gap, and I apologize for that today. Amen? Let's move to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is a controversy. There, there's, there's a name. Uh, some people uh, think that they can trace back uh, who Pharaoh's daughter was in this time frame. But it's a different name than the Jews have in their history, okay? So for, we're not going to call her a name because there's conflict on who that was. But we're going to call her Pharaoh's daughter. 
What she knew, what we know about her is that she was a princess. She knew that the child was Hebrew, right? We saw that in the scripture. She knew she was disobeying her father's decree by saving the baby's life. First of all, that's some serious guts to be able to take a Hebrew child that he specifically said, throw in the Nile and drowned, and then bring the child up in the palace. That is some serious uh, guts. She knew she had disobeyed her father's decree. She knew she, she could give him safety and an education and basically a silver spoon in his mouth. She knew she could do all of those things. And she had the power to say, bring me that child. Actually, I'm going to pay you to, to nurse him and feed him till he's weaned, and then I'm going to take him in. She had everything at her disposal, everything she needed at her disposal. It, um, this reminds me of step-parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, and even relatives or grandparents raising children. We have a lot of that going on due to the circumstances of where we are, even as, as, as the world, the church. There is a lot of grandparents raising babies right now. Let me just say this. The struggle, they struggle with guilt, that they may, may not be giving the child all they need and trying not to compare them with their own birth children. They worry that they can't help heal the wounds that maybe uh, they themselves have not created. They fear that the child could at some point be taken away from them if the judge sees fit to move the child. There are so many things that a step-parent, a foster parent, a grandparent, all of the different people that are helping raise children that don't have parents. There's a lot. It's like they're walking on eggshells. I have watched some of our closest friends, Neil and Sarah Price, adopt twins. Uh, they went through the foster program and adopted twins, and they're healthy and whole and happy right now in D.C., by the way. They're amazing. I, I love to watch them on uh, social media and see all their pictures, but the, watching them not know one day from the next when they were fostering, if they were going to be able to adopt, do we get attached, do we not get attached? Do we get it? Oh, I'm, I'm loving this. We're seeing them develop. We're seeing them make good grades, and then they could be taken away tomorrow. <clears throat> There's a true struggle there. Even step-parents. I, I know more step-parents. We actually have a higher percentage of, um, of uh, families that, uh, what it, it's called blended. blended. Thank you. I was looking for that word exactly. That's why I keep you around. Blended families. We have higher amounts of blended families than we do just normal, traditional families these days. So there is more going on with a step-parent. There's more needs for a step-parent than there ever has been in the past to be knowledgeable, to have wisdom for prayer and guidance. Step-parents go through a lot. I, I, I watch it on a daily basis. I watch people struggle with the step-parent, step-child relationship. It's like walking on eggshells. These parents like Pharaoh's daughter. They, take the, they stand in the gap and they take the place of the birth mom, whether by choice or not, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter saved his life. So we can be mad that she took the baby or we can be glad that Moses is alive, right? You know what? It reminds me of a story, um, a, a movie, The Blind Side. Who, who, who hasn't seen that? Because whoever raises their hand, they got to go rent that this week. Uh, it is so good. You want to see it. And it just, this is a clip, actually. I'm going to set it up. This is a clip of when uh, the story of Michael Orr, the football player, the lady, uh, I can't remember the family's name. I call her Sandra Bullock. Tui, so the Tui family brought Michael Orr into their home for the end of, a sen uh, the end of his 
senior year and helped him get into college. They help, they adopt him, just all of these wonderful things. But how does this affect the birth mom? Because there's always, there's always a birth mom, and that's never going to be taken away from her, her place. But then how does he, how does he move forward in his life? without having a stable home or somebody that can help him and build him up and show him what his talents are and develop him as a kid. And so this is, the, this is when uh, the, the Tuies and the birth mom of Michael Orr meet for the very first time. Hi, Miss, Miss Orr? You from the state? No. My name is Leanne Tui, and your son, Michael, lives with me and my family. Hey, is my boy. How's Big Mike? He's fine. He's doing real well. We might have some wine in the kitchen if you. Oh, no, no. That's real kind. When did you last see Michael? I don't know. How many, how many foster kids you got living with you? Oh, I'm not a foster parent to Michael. I'm just helping him out. State don't pay you nothing? No, no. Yeah, you feed him, you buy him clothes too? Well, when we can find them in his size. <laughs> You're a fine Christian lady. Well, I try to be. It's all real nice what you're doing, but don't be surprised if one day you wake up and he gone. What do you mean? He's a runner. That's what the state called him after they took him from me. <laughs> Every foster home they sent him to, he'd slip out the window that night and come looking for me. No matter where I was, people would come find me, take care of me. I've had some health problems. So, was Michael born under a different name? Proctor. That was his daddy's last name. Where is he? I ain't seen him since he left. And when was that? A week after Mike was born. Do you happen to have his birth certificate? It's all right. Figure it out. or you'll always be Michael's mama. Would you like to see him? No. Not this way. It's Williams. His last name's Williams. Can you remember who the boy's father is?
sometimes it takes a person to stand in the gap. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It just means you give of what you have. Michael Orr probably never would have been able to go to the NFL, never gotten a college education, may not even graduated high school, if somebody hadn't have stood in the gap. Was that her, his birth mom? Absolutely not. Was, was she trying to take the place of his mother? Absolutely not. But when a mom can't be a mom, there has to be someone that stands in the gap. And, and sometimes you have to lay down your child, lay his destiny down, and put it in the hands of someone else so that they can fulfill their God-given destinies on their life. That doesn't mean that you have to go give your child away today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit, okay? What I'm saying is that there will come a time in your life when there's somebody else that can help your child more than you can help. And that you have to be trusting enough, selfless enough to go, you know what, I can't help you here, but this person can help you. And hopefully that person is in the church. Hopefully that is a God-fearing, God-loving, God, all the godly characteristics of a human that can take your child to the next level. But it requires selflessness of a parent to go, I can't take you where you need to go, but I'm going to find you the help that gets you where you need to be. Amen? To be a mother is to be selfless and to be a, a stepmom, a spiritual mom, any other roles that were played a serious part in Moses' life. The requirement is not that you're perfect. It's that you can give of what you have, right? Moses needed an education. He had to know how a nation was raised up out of the ground. He had to know how the finances were run. He, he, needed, he needed to be able to read and write. He needed protection. He needed to not die. Michael Orr, he needed an education. He needed a college diploma. He needed to be able to do his gifts and callings. If you ever watch that movie, he didn't even know he could play football. It took someone special to stand in the gap and pull it out. And that's no judgment on the mother. I, I pray every day that that mom, that she got on the right course and that, that now she truly can enjoy being a mother to her, to her son. But for us, we the church, we have to stand in the gap. Amen? Yes. Moving right along, if you notice Miriam, in, the sibling in this story, uh, says that she, was, she got to an advantage point, an advantage spot to watch him, then bra bravely persuaded the princess. Put the thought in the princess's mind before she even could think of it herself. Don't you need a mother that could nurse that child for you? Miriam, some of you might not have one parent, but you have a sibling. Siblings are important because along the way, Moses needed Miriam. Miriam stood beside Moses and prophesied. She was the first pro prophet, first prophetess of the Bible. First prophetess of the Bible is what I was trying to say. She was by Moses' side every step of the way. Aaron was his voice, his mouth when he couldn't feel like he felt like he couldn't speak. Aaron was there. Sometimes it requires a sibling to raise a, raise a great leader. And, and whether we know it or not, there's a, an animal instinct to protect that, that is, it's almost as serious as a, as a parent. I don't know if any of y'all have siblings that you feel the need to protect and guard, but um, it doesn't show up until you least expect it. Uh, I'm reminded of a story uh, when this was, had to have been three years ago uh, that 
my in-laws said, we're going to take all the grandbabies and we're going to go to Slitterbond without us, without, without the, the moms and dads, okay? And so it was my daughter, I think at the time she was 10 or 9, and they stair-stepped. The boys went, I'm, I'm 6, 5, 4, and Quinn was, she was walking maybe, and they said they're going to take all of them to Slitterbond without any of us. Are, get you, are you getting a visual here of this with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law? Okay, so I am toying with this in my, my mind. I had nightmares about it. I said, they're going to lose my children. I know they're going to lose my children. And I do not want to send all of those. They're outnumbered. They're wild and crazy. There's no way they're going to come back and there's going to be one missing. And they're not even going to know it until they get home. And so I... They, lo they were loading up the Suburban, okay, and all the kids were in their car seats and whatnot. And I got in the car, and I said, okay, here's a test. I said, if someone offers you candy, what are you going to do? And I'll never forget it. Peyton said, we go find him and take the candy. <laughs> my heart dropped in my stomach, and I went, Oh, my God. I started unbuckling kids. I was like, you're not going to Slitterbond. You're not going to Slitterbond. Everybody get out of the car. And I realized, I said, no, 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 no. No, we don't take candy from strangers. You know how your mommy said don't take candy from strangers? It's like, are you sure? Because it's free candy. I was like, I'm positive, Peyton. Don't argue with me. Don't take candy from strangers, okay? And I said, what do you do if you get lost? And, and no one can answer me. So I'm prepping them. Like, we're doing a full prep safety course before my in-laws get in the car because I don't want them to know how totally scared I am, okay? And so I, I said, find somebody with a whistle, okay? And say, excuse me, are you a lifeguard? I can't find my nene and papa. Everybody repeat that after me. I can't find, not y'all, no, my kids. And so, and, so, and so the kids are like, I can't find my nene and papa. And so uh, I remember they were getting the car, and finally I was done, and I grabbed my, this is like a lot of pressure, and I don't even realize I was doing this at the time. I grabbed my nine-year-old daughter and said, Kennedy, do not lose your brother. You were in charge of your brother. He better come back alive. She's like, <laughs> she's nine years old, and I just left her brother's life in her hands, right? Well, sure enough, but they get on the lazy river, right? And they, what a smart idea, a grandparent idea to put everybody in their own inner tube, Right? It's a grandparent idea. And so they all go down the lazy river. Well, my, my kids can swim, but I just know my son, I just, he's just going to wonder. And so sure enough, Kennedy came home, told me we were in the lazy river, and Bub started drifting off, and he couldn't get back to us. And so I went off to find him and to get him, and I missed him at his last you know, the exit point off of the lazy river. He said, I got off and he wouldn't get off. So I got back in and I kept going after him and I got him off again. And I said, I found somebody with a whistle. <laughs> it's the Holy Ghost. I was prophesying. And she goes, I found a whistle. And I said, are, are you a lifeguard? He said, yeah. I said, I can't find my nene and papa. Please hold him right here. And literally she said, I got in the lazy river, found him and came back. And there's Randy, my little blonde haired five-year-old, just stand there with a lifeguard. I have never been so glad to go over safety prep drills in my entire <laughs> life. But I will tell you that something clicks with my daughter. When I'm not around, I've been told by Kara, by all the people that keep, uh, help take care of my children. It does take a, a, a church and a village to take care of my kids. And she says, there's something that happens to Kennedy when you're not around. She doesn't turn, she's not the same sister. She's not the whiny, he touched me, I'm going to hit him. Blah, blah, blah. 
she turns into a mommy. And she begins to, it's going to be okay. We're going to go do this. She begins to nurture him and take care of him. When I'm not around, she steps in that role. It's amazing. I've never seen it. They, they tell me of these stories I have never seen. And for Mother's Day, I would like to just see a glimpse of it. I will tell you that siblings, if you don't have a mother or a father in your life, or maybe you do and they're just, the siblings can step in and be the nurturer. They can fill the gap. God gives you siblings and they should be a blessing and you should love every minute with them. And when you don't have your parents, that's what you're going to have left is your siblings typically. Um, I have to skip along. Zipporah was a wife of the, one of the first wives of Moses. It says in Exodus, it's very random. It's very random, okay? We're reading along about Moses and how he, uh, he was going to talk to Aaron because he couldn't speak and he, God wasn't going to help him, he says, and so he needed Aaron, right? In the middle of this long dialogue about where he, how he's going to go get help from Aaron and he's going to speak for him and this whole deal, there's these couple of scriptures that are very random and out of place, and just. but I'm going to read them. It's about his, his Zipporah, his wife, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 through 26. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Do you know who sought to kill him was? Moses. The Lord sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone, cut off the foreskin of her son, and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. He being capitalized there, I don't know if it's capitalized, yeah, he being the Lord, let Moses go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of circumcision. And then it just picks up like, and then they got to Aaron and they asked Aaron, will you speak for me, blah, blah. And you're like, whoa, 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 where are these random scriptures coming from? That is the most out of place spot for that, right? They're traveling along the way and Zipporah, who's not even a, really a Hebrew, she's a Midianite. She, do, she doesn't even, she knows the Jewish law, the Hebrew law, better than Moses. And she says, the, the Hebrew law is eight days after the baby's born, he has to be circumcised or he is not a Hebrew. He's not, he's not one of God's children. He's not his tribe, whatever, okay? She's not even a Hebrew. She's a Midianite. And she goes, you're going to get killed if we don't circumcise our kid. I'm just saying, Moses wasn't the best Hebrew, of all the Hebrews out there, and could have been because he was raised in an Egyptian palace and he didn't know any better, or it could have been that he was having a fight with his Midianite, Midianite wife and she did not want to circumcise, okay? And you know how that is. There's, there's marital fights in the first year over children. You know what I'm talking about, how you're going to raise them and all that kind of stuff and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And I bet you when she realized that the Lord was going to kill him, she saved Moses' life. Now, she has a little fit about it, but she does save Moses' life. If it's not for godly wives and godly women looking out for men, for men sometimes, they'd have just thought, the population of men, they, they'd be half. It'd be half right now. It's true. <laughs> we need discerning wives that speak up when they see trouble. And here's something that I run into a lot. In marriage counseling, I see this a lot. And I have felt it before. That just because we see something that they don't and they don't listen to our opinion doesn't mean that we're supposed to have a bad attitude about it. I know, this one's a freebie, ladies. Um, you're really supposed to say what you see 
You see trouble coming. Stop. Pump the brakes, Randon. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Whether he takes it or not, you've done your job and you need to back off. After that, it's in his hand because he's the head of the house. So I, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but that's where our attitudes come into check is when we know we see something that they clearly cannot see. You're clearly going to die, Moses, because you haven't circumcised our child. And whether I like it or not, I'm giving you the truth. From there, it's their responsibility. As a, as a woman that has been married for humpteen years and two kids and all this stuff, I will tell you the hardest decisions I've ever had to make was when to shut up, when to keep my mouth shut. I said my piece. I saw trouble coming, and sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. But here's the bottom line. A godly wife, when she sees, when she can see clearly what tr that trouble is coming, speak up. That's what a discerning wife is for. But know when to keep quiet as well. I know that that's not in there, but it's true. <laughs> the Sephora had a little fit. It's probably not the way you're supposed to do it. But I will tell you that he's alive today because of midwives. He's alive today because of a mom that birthed him and gave him up. He's alive from a pharaoh princess that took care of him and fed him and clothed him. She's, he's alive because of a sister that watched out for him. He's alive because of all of these different women, wives, mothers, stepmoms. It took a group of people playing their role to see Moses fulfill his destiny. I'm going to read something real quick and then I'm going to have my husband come up and, and close for me. I want to acknowledge all the wide continuum of mothering. Y'all have that, that deal for me? There we go. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught and pokes, prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make things harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your, your experience and we're so sorry that this happened to you. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you have longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those that parent without a husband, we commend you for your tireless effort and recognize your hard work and sometimes lonely walk. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. And we remember you today. 
Amen. Thank you for your time. My husband's going to close us out. I appreciate you guys. There's real warriors here, and we love you very much. There's women of all kinds in the room today, and we wanted to honor you. And that's what this last statement was about. That's what Pastor Lindsay's message was about, honoring all the women in the church and say how much we love and appreciate you. Uh, those that are moms, those that want to be, those that used to be, we love you and we honor you. Uh, I want to take a few minutes, and, and here at the end of the service, we'll, we're going to open these altars, but... Uh, I want to pray specifically uh, for a couple of things. Number one, those that have lost a child. Lost, uh, that can come in a number of ways. It could be uh, your, your child, uh, you know, died by some tragic uh, accident or, or some disease. It could be that you had a miscarriage. And, you know, so often we breeze over people who have miscarriages and think, oh, it was no big deal. But if you've walked the road, you understand how painful and difficult it is. The enemy plays on your mind. Uh, he, he, he plays with your mind and, and tells you lies. And, and I want to I pray for you. Uh, or it might be that through some circumstances of your life, your child is no longer with, with, living with you or you're not able to be the mom that you want to be. And I want to pray, if you're one of those women, you don't have to raise your hand. I, I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pay a prayer over you. Uh, or if you have um, been trying to have a child and been unable to, I want to pray that this is the year that God changes things for you. Can we do that really quickly? Would that be okay? If you're watching online, I want to pray for you as well. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, I'm asking right now that you reach down and touch every situation, every hurtful place, every difficult thing that might be going on with moms in, or, or grandmothers or aunts or spiritual moms in this room, those that have suffered loss, Lord, I pray that you would heal them now, that you would breathe into them, that you would breathe life and hope, and you would begin to heal the pain that, that can be living in their hearts. They may be smiling on the outside, but they're hurting deep within. I pray that you would heal today. Lord, when, when you said you were a healer, that covers our hearts to heal now in Jesus' name. And so, Father, I pray for those that are wanting to have a child, that are, that are praying and believing and hoping. Uh, Lord, I pray that this would be their year and that you would bring a smile and a joy to their homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.